You know, every organization, every organization, every business, every club, everything like that has written somewhere a core set of values. Every organization, every business, the place where you work, uh, the places that you're a part of, every organization has a core set of values. In fact, the country in which we live has a core set of values. We have the amendments of the Constitution that, that make up, our, this is our core set of values. Now, we can argue all day whether or not the companies that you work in, the country that we live in, and the organizations that you are a part of follow those core values, whether or not there's something that's just written or something that they actually live out and make a difference, but nonetheless, they all have them somewhere. And this morning, as Justin mentioned earlier, we are going to take some time and we are going to talk about one of the core values for us at Mount Hope. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, maybe you don't know the whole story, but about seven weeks ago, we planted this campus out of a church called Mount Hope Christian Center in Burlington, Massachusetts. So we are Mount Hope in Burlington. We're Mount Hope in Belmont. We're still one church with two locations. So as we have worship here in, in Belmont, they are having worship in Burlington right now as we speak. And so the core values, this core value that we're going to talk about, it's been something that's been a part of Mount Hope in Burlington for a long, long time and continues to be a core value for us as we worship together here in Belmont. At Mount Hope, we have lots of core values, lots of things that govern the way that we live and govern the way that we work. And there's some, there's some that are actually un, unwritten core values, but they definitely have an impact on how we operate. I just want to share a few of those with you now. And maybe as you think about being at Mount Hope in this church, whether this is your first time, you've been here many times, you could say whether or not these core values actually impact the way that we live. Like here's one. Here's a core value, unwritten, but still a core value. Every gathering at Mount Hope must, must be accompanied by coffee and food. If food and coffee cannot be provided, the gathering must be abandoned. And also, when we say fellowship, we mean food. When a new door is installed in the church, it's a core value. I think we live this one out well. When a new door is installed in the church, it must be, it must be at least three months before we install a doorknob. As you can see, we live this one out well. The music, the music should be just soft enough, this is a delicate balance, Peter, the music should be just soft enough that all the younger people think it's way too soft and all the older people think it's way too loud. The music should be at a point where all the younger people think it's too soft and all the older people think think it's too loud. And when the music is selected, it should be music that the younger people think is really old and the older people think is really new. It's a delicate balance, but it's a core value. And the sermon must continue until everyone is properly daydreaming. Another core value. And if people are attentive and listening, the sermon will continue. This, pay attention. The sermon will continue until everyone drifts off and then it will end. The core value is the way that we live. But there's one core value, a serious core value, that informs the way that we operate, the way we do ministry, the way we spend our money here at Mount Hope. And that is we believe, we believe that we are called to reach the unreached. That is a core value that informs almost everything we do at Mount Hope. We are called to reach 
those who are not reach. We think that as followers of Jesus Christ, it is our job, it's our duty, it's our mission to try and take the love of Christ and what he has given to us and what we've experienced and to share that love with others. Which begs the question, if our job, if, our, if one of our core values is to reach the unreached, the question that we have to ask ourselves then is who are the unreached? Who are those people that we're talking about? Who are the unreached? And let me take a minute just briefly to define that term. When we talk about who are the unreached, the unreached people, we might say to ourselves, well, we're probably talking about the people that we all know in our own backyard who don't follow Jesus. We're talking about those people because we live in this area of the country where when we go out from this place, we'll probably run into a lot of people who don't follow Jesus. It's a part of where we live. We all know whatever group that we're a part of, our families, our, our, our workplaces, our schools, where there's only a handful of people maybe who follow Jesus with their lives. And so we might be saying maybe that's the unreached. In fact, the Barna Group just released uh, another study where they listed the post-Christian cities in America. How post-Christian are our cities? What they mean by post-Christian is what percentage of the people not just say they don't believe in Jesus, but say something to the effect of, we really don't even need that at all. That's what they mean by post-Christian. They say it uh, more scholarly than that, but that's really what they're measuring. What percentage of the people look at the Bible and look at Christians and look at the person of Jesus and say, we don't need that at all? Well, it probably won't surprise you that in this study, seven out of the top 10 cities come from New England. In fact, eight out of the top 10 cities are in this region because number one, and it's always number one on the list for whatever reason, is Albany, New York. So if you include New York in with our region, then eight out of the 10 cities come from our region. San Francisco is number six, uh, San Diego is number nine, and all the rest of them are from our part of the country. And Boston, the Boston metro area, comes right in at number seven. 53% of the people they surveyed, over half the people they talked to, said, not only do I not believe it, we really have no use for it. And that's the part of the country that we live. So the question is, is that what we mean when we're talking about the unreached? Quite simply, the answer to that question is no. The reason we're not talking about the people in our own backyard who do not follow Jesus is because, like we talked about last week, they're not unreached. In fact, God has put us right here to reach them. They have access to the gospel through us. And yes, they may not believe, but when we use this word unreached that I'm talking about this morning, they can be reached because there are people like us who are called to go and share the love of Christ with them. We are called to reach them. And we talked about this last week, if you were with us. We said we are called to live lives. We talked about doing good. We said we're called to live lives where we don't just do good for, for goodness sake, but we do good in a way and we live in such a way that people are pointed to Jesus Christ, where we are sharing the love of Christ with others. And that's what we are called to do. When we talk about the unreached this morning, we are talking about those people who live in a place in this world where there is no access to the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. This may surprise you. It surprised me. David Platt is a, is a leader and an author, and he just released a book called Countercultural. And in that book, he uses these numbers. He says that there are 11,000 people groups in the world. 11,000 different groups that have their own language, their own dialect, and their own culture. 11,000 of those groups exist across the 270-odd countries in this world. Of those 11,000 people groups, and this is what surprised me, 6,000 of those groups, that's 2 billion people, have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That blows my mind in today's world. We think it's, it's everywhere, that even if people don't believe, at least they could hear. They could pick up a Bible, they could turn on a radio station, they could go online, they could listen to a podcast. At least if they wanted it, it was available to them. But for two billion people on this earth, the Bible's not in their language for many of them. And there's no one down the street or in their family or even a missionary necessarily present who could tell them who Jesus Christ is. When we talk about this, this core value of reaching the unreached, this is who we're talking about. Those people who live in these places, those 6,000 people groups, those 2 billion people who if they wanted to hear about Jesus and his love for them, would have no place to go and no way to hear. But why is this so important to us? Why is it so important to us? Why is it that we as the pastors of Mount Hope keep insisting on this? Every October, if you've been a part of Mount Hope, you come back and, and you're like, oh boy, it's Global Outreach Week again and I've got to hear the sermon again about, about the missionaries. And I know what you're really thinking. And so, and why, but why is it so important? Why do we come back to this over and over and over again? Why is it that we hold this value so true? Well, quite simply, it's a core value that we believe in because Jesus himself told us to go and do this. And when Jesus tells us to go and do something, we uh, do our best to listen. We're not perfect in that, but when Jesus puts something out there and says, hey, you should go and do this, we try our best to follow what he says. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus is just about to leave his disciples. He spent three odd years with his disciples. He's just about to leave. And if I was Jesus, I would save my most important words for last. Whatever those words are that I really wanted my disciples to remember. We talked about a lot of things over three years. But the words I would really want my disciples to remember, I would save for last. This is what Jesus says right at the end, Matthew chapter 28. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Therefore, go, he says, and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus told us to go do it, but It's not just Jesus who told us to go and do it. We see that the people that did ministry after Jesus also embraced this value. 
The Apostle Paul, he didn't follow Jesus when Jesus was on this earth. He didn't start his ministry until after Jesus left. And reaching the unreached was a big deal to Paul. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome. He had never been to Rome. He wanted to visit Rome. In fact, Paul was a Roman citizen, born as a Roman citizen, and he wanted to get there to visit the church in Rome, but he had work to do. And in Romans chapter 15, this is what he says about reaching the unreached. He says, it has always been my ambition. This is Romans 15 verse 20. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. And so here we see Jesus. Jesus gives us a mission. Jesus gives his disciples a mission, and it's passed on to us. And we see that other people who came after Christ, namely Paul, reaching the unreached was a big deal to them. I want to take a moment and briefly share with you how this core value plays out at Mount Hope. What this looks like at Mount Hope over the last few years. Giving to missions and giving to global outreach has always been an important part of who we are. But this idea of specifically giving, specifically giving to reach the unreached, is something that has been a part of us for the last 10 years. And so as we've embraced this and as we've, as we've talked about it more and as we've gotten on board with it, I want to just share briefly what God has done over the last 10 years and the difference, the difference that has taken place in the last decade. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. The number of faith promises made. We're going we're gonna to talk about faith promises in a minute. Faith promises are how we give gifts uh, to Global Outreach. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the number of faith promises made at Mount Hope. In 2005, in 2005, 62 faith promises were given towards missions or global outreach. Again, we'll talk about faith promises in a minute. In 2007, through all our hard work, we grew that to 46. But just last year, just last year, 94 individuals, 94 families made a faith promise to missions. The percentage of households who, get, who have gotten on board with this, these are households that attend Mount Hope. The percentage of people who are, who are engaged in 2005, we had 22% of the people engaged, one out of every five. Again, in 2007, it was down year at 19%. But just last year, almost half of the families attending Mount Hope embraced this value and gave. Of those who gave the giving per adult in 2005, $231 an adult over the year. And last year, it was $626. And this, I really just thank God for, because this has been amazing to, to see. In 2005, I was, I was here in 2005, and, and, and some of you were probably here in 2005 up in Burlington. 2005, in total to missions, in, to global outreach, we call it, we gave $67,000. And 57000 of that went to, specifically to our missions partners around the world. 
What's the difference, the $10,000 difference? It didn't go to uh, any sort of, it's not some sort of a kickback for the, for the pa- pastors or the staff or anything, trust me. All the money that's received from missions goes out to missions. But sometimes we'll do a short-term mission trip. And so that money will be part of that difference that, of what's given to the partners and what else is given. Or sometimes there'll be a natural disaster. Like we've given over the past few years, we gave to Haiti, we gave to Japan, we gave to, to all these things that when the tsunami hit, we gave to all those different things through an organization called Convoy of Hope. So that's really the difference. All that money that's received goes out to the mission field. And last year, by God's grace, $130,000 was given in total, and 106000 of that went to our missionary partners around the world. We're part, we're part of the Assemblies of God, and uh, we're also part of a smaller section, they, or district they call it, within the Assemblies of God. It's Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. And I don't even know if this is biblical, but we do it anyway. And that is we rank all the churches with how they give to missions. Okay, so when Pastor Rick and I go to a conference every May, they put up on a screen the top 10 giving churches to missions. And I don't even know if that's the way, I don't know how to, how to think about that. But they rank everybody and they pit everyone against each other. It's a big competition. But the last couple of years, Mount Hope has been in the top 10, uh, which is great. Not because we get our name on a screen, but because God is doing something among us. God is doing something among us as we embrace this value. When it comes to reaching the unreached and people giving money to missionaries, this is how most churches, this is how the global church on average allocates missions funds. They give 4% of the money that comes in to unreached people groups. So those groups like we talked about where there's no Bible in the native language, where there's just a handful at the most of Christians, only 4% of the dollars given across the world go to those people. Formative nations, there's about 2% of evangelicals in those nations, 16%. In established countries where there's a a stronger witness for the gospel, like here, Europe, many nations in Africa, South America, still important work, 80% of the money goes there. So we felt a specific call at Mount Hope to really support those who would say, we are going to go to those places where right now the gospel is not available. That was what we felt specifically. Not saying that this is all wrong, but we're saying this is what we felt like God called us to do. And we set a target. And our target was that we would come to the point where 45% of our gifts would go to the unreached, where 35% would go to the formative nations, and 20% would go to the established nations. So are we hitting our goal? Well, just last year, we got to the point that 50% of the money that came in went to partners going to unreached people groups, 29% went to formative nations, and 21% went to established nations. So by God's grace, he has allowed us to come to the point where we are right where we felt like he called us to be. God's doing some amazing things through our global outreach partners. Do you remember, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, Jenny Falcon was on this stage. Jenny's someone that grew up in Burlington at at Mount Hope, and she's been now nine years in Swaziland running an orphanage in Swaziland. She was back here a few weeks ago, and if you remember her story, she totaled her car because as she was driving down the the back roads of Swaziland, she she hit a cow, uh, which I know sounds humorous, but could be potentially very dangerous 
I'm from Nebraska. I, I know about these things. It could be very dangerous. Cows are big. Uh, they stop cars. And uh, I totaled her vehicle, and she needed a new vehicle. And she needed $10,000 for a new vehicle, and here she is. I mean, she's dependent on the support of other people, and, and she's in this place, and she just kind of threw that out there as she, as she went over the past couple of weeks. She goes home, I believe, in just a couple of days, um, and God provided $15,000 for a new vehicle. So not only can she get a new vehicle, but, I mean, you know, maybe an SUV or Mercedes, I don't know, but she can really upgrade. But God provided, which is great. Just heard from, from a, a couple that you may know because he's been uh, in Burlington a number of times. Don and Carol Butera are out in Indonesia, and we support them. And, you know, Don and Carol went a few years ago, and had never, they've been church planters and, and pastors in Rhode Island. Didn't know many people in Indonesia, but felt like God wanted them to go. And so they went to Indonesia. And heard from Don in his latest newsletter that he baptized 12 new believers this last year. And on Sunday mornings, they have two church services and over 200 people. They're working with people who are almost entirely Muslim and Hindu. Over 200 people are coming to church on Sunday mornings. And God is at work. And the only way it's possible is because we're willing to support and to give. There's 2 billion people, 6,000 people groups that don't have any real access to the gospel. So then the question becomes, if this is a core value for us, then what is our job? What are we really supposed to do about this? In just a few moments, we'll leave here and we'll go home, and I'm speaking prophetically now, we'll watch the Patriots beat the Jets, right? And so we'll go home and we'll, and we'll watch that, just that you know, massacre take place, it will be great. And there's something that, that the Patriots do, whether or not you're a, you're a sports fan, you're a football fan, there's something that Bill Belichick does as he leads that team and leads that organization. And even if you're not a fan, maybe if you've, if you've ever seen the players on the news, you've ever seen a, a locker room uh, a report, maybe you've noticed this. On their hats, on their t-shirts, on the walls of the facility, the practice facility, and, the, and where they, where they, uh, the tunnels that they walk down, there is a three-word phrase. Do your job. That's it, Nancy. You're tracking with me. I appreciate that. Do your job. That is exactly what they say. It's on their stocking hats. It's on their t-shirts. It's on their sweatshirts. Do your job. And that's all that Bill Belichick says. You don't have to worry about what the guy next to you is supposed to do. You don't have to worry about what the coach is supposed to do. All you have to do if you want to win is to do your job. It's been somewhat successful over the last few years, in case you didn't know. It's been very successful. Just do your job. Play your role. Do what it is that you are supposed to do. And the same is true for us. All we have to do, each and every one of us, is to do the job that God has called us to. Now the thing about this is I don't know what God has called you to. I don't know what God is calling you to. The only person that can know exactly what God is calling you to do is you. As you spend time with him and as you spend time in his presence, God will call you to do something. For some of us, God calls us to go. Most of us, God calls us to be people who send. But God will make that clear. I know a couple years ago, uh, we went to Haiti just 
just a few months after that terrible earthquake had taken place. And we had one member on our team, a great team of people. Some are sitting in this room right now. A great team of people that went down to Haiti. And we were going to do what we could. to. We were helping to rebuild a church that had fallen in the earthquake. And we got to, we got to Haiti. And I, the situation was still pretty tough after um, the earthquake. We went back a few years later. And it had gotten significantly better. But this t- trip, when we walked in, many of the, the customs was in a tent on the tarmac because the airport was unsafe to walk in from the earthquake. So from just the get-go, you could tell that, that things were in tough shape. It was, it was not an easy trip. It was more, in some ways, for some people, it was, it was very uncomfortable living situations. They had, never, they had never experienced that before. And so uh, we walked in, and the tens of thousands of people were still living in tent cities in the capital there of Port-au-Prince, and, and things were just still needed to be rebuilt. There was one person in our team who the second the plane landed was so far out of his element, all he could think about was getting home. And when we were doing the work and doing out, it wasn't that he was, uh, he was upset that he had been there. It just, it, it became very clear to him that he was uh, far out of his element. And when we landed back in Miami at the end of the week and we were in customs, he shook everybody's hand like he was running for president. He was so excited, so excited to be home. But here's what he said to me. He said, you know what I learned? I learned that it's not my job to go. That's not what God called me to do. But more than ever before, he said this right to me in Miami airport, more than ever before, I will give to those people who are going. God makes it clear what our job is that we are to do. And it requires some sort of sacrifice on our part. Paul, if we can put up Romans 15 verse 22 again, He says to them, he says, I've been going out and I've been preaching Christ to those who have never heard of him. And in verse 22, he says, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. This was a sacrifice for Paul. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to to where his citizenship lied. He wanted to see this church in Rome. He wanted to to, to visit the Vatican and and see see the Colosseum. He wanted to be there. He wanted to do all those things. But he had a job to do, and it required sacrifice. I want to be with you, but I can't. And the reason I can't is because there are still people who need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ that have not yet heard. And so I'm going to sacrifice my own wants and my own desires to go and to do that job that God has called me to do. When it comes to sacrifice, I think we need to ask ourselves some hard questions. If you're in this room, you're a part of Mount Hope, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? If if you're visiting with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you are here to hear about what we believe and what is one of our core values. But if this is your church, this is home, we need to ask ourselves some tough questions. How much is someone's soul worth to us? What is more important than this? getting the message of the gospel out there. And what do we spend our money on that is really less important? What would we say face-to-face to the missionary who's called to go but can't because they're not funded to go? What would we say to the people that remain unreached because missionaries can't go? Did we spend more in credit card interest, Starbucks, vacation, and eating out 
than we did investing in the spread of the gospel? Those are hard questions. But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, if that's who we are, and this is our job, and this is our mission, then it ought to be something that's important to us. What does it look like? Well, like Justin shared, downstairs, sitting in our, in our church, and downstairs we have the fourth and fifth generations worshiping God and learning about him because a missionary went and shared the love of Christ. Back in Burlington right now, there's a couple from Russia named Roman and Maria who have been attending Mount Hope in Burlington for the last couple of years. Roman came to Ohio State as an international student from Russia. And while he was there, there was a little church in Cincinnati that sent a group of, of young people to go to Ohio State's campus and share about Jesus. Roman met them on the campus of Ohio State, and he began to follow Jesus Christ. Way back in St. Petersburg, Russia, a church in the United States sent a team of short-term missionaries to St. Petersburg, and they were there out in the square, in St. Petersburg Square, and, and they, were, they were sharing the love of Jesus Christ, and they met Maria. And Maria began to follow Jesus from that short-term team. And then Maria and Roman, God brought them together. Here they are, two people, both Russian, a world away from each other, both reached by short-term missions teams. And they both followed Jesus, and now they're married and attending church at Mount Hope together. In 1887, a woman named Sophie, Sophia Blackmore. In 1887, she was a single woman sitting in church in Australia. And a missionary came, another female missionary came and spoke at her church, and she was inspired inspired to go somewhere and be a missionary. She thought she might go to China, but that didn't work out. She thought she might go to Malaysia, and that didn't work out. In fact, she ended up going to Singapore so that she could study uh, Malay so that she could get ready to go to Malaysia. So she went to Singapore to start her language studies, and when she arrived in Singapore, God said to her, this is where you're supposed to be. Within a month, she had started an all-girls school in Singapore, a small Christian all-girls school. Well, the school continued to do its work, started with eight girls. School continued to do its work. She left, other missionaries came and supported the work. In 1983, this school went co-ed. So it was now girls and boys attending the school. They continued to do their work, continued to hold chapel services, and even though it became a, a state school at one point, continued to hold those chapel services, continued to hold worship nights. A few years ago, a young man started attending the school. And he came through that school and he began to follow Jesus because of friends that he met in and around that school. In the last couple of weeks, Ting has led worship here at Mount Hope. That's how this works. Because in 1887, a woman was sitting in a church in Australia and felt the call of God to go. And the church sent her. And because of that, Ting and so many others are following Jesus. This is why it's so important to us. Some of us are called to go and some of us are called to send. 
But we are all called to reach the unreached with the gospel. We currently support 34 global outreach partners at Mount Hope. We support them in prayer and we support them financially. I'm going to ask our ushers. Our ushers are going to pass out uh, what we call these faith promise cards. They're going to pass them out. They're going to pass out a pen. And this is what I, I would like for you to do. Again, if you are visiting with us this morning, just take it and look at it and consider who we are as a church. But if this is your home, if this is your home, I would ask you to take some time here at the end of this service and ask God what he wants you to do. You guys can go ahead and start passing out those cards and they'll come and pass out pens as well. Just ask God, what is it, God, that you want us to do? This is how I handle faith promises. This is how Lori and I handle a faith promise. These aren't pledges. These aren't pledges. No one's going to come back to you and say, oh, you pledged $15 a month and I can see that you're behind on this. We're not going to do that. These aren't pledges. These are faith promises. What we are saying is, as God blesses us, we will give. That's what we're saying. And because we're relying on God with these pledges, this is how Lori and I approach this. We say to ourselves, what is it that we could comfortably afford? What is it that we could comfortably afford in supporting our global outreach partners? What is it that we could comfortably afford? That's what we ask the question. And then, because we're relying on God, we put a number higher than that. That's the simple rule of how I approach a faith promise. I say to myself, what could we actually afford? And then because I'm relying on God and I'm trusting in him, I put a number higher than that. And trust him to provide. And ask him, God, not what can I afford? God, what do you want me to do? These faith promises are not pledges, but what they do, and the reason we ask for them, is they help us know at what level can we continue to support our missions partners. I'm going to invite our worship team forward, and they're going to come, Ting and Gabby are going to come, and they're going to lead us in some songs at the end here. There's a few things that I'd like for us to do. If you've been with us in Burlington, what we do is we fill out these cards and we lay them on the front. We're not going to do it that way this morning. What I'm going to ask you to do in these next few moments as we worship God is I'm going to ask you to respond in a couple of ways. One is, as we often do at Mount Hope, we're going to have some leaders in front of the church as we sing. If there's a need in your life, if you need healing, if you need God to step in and do something in your life, we'll have some leaders at the front of the church. You are more than welcome during this time as we sing to come forward and we will pray with you. That's one way you can respond. Another way you can respond, and I would really ask us to take advantage of this time. I have some cards here, and each card has some of our missions partners on the front and on the back. I'm going to set these cards on the altar and I would ask a few of you would you come and take a card and you can kneel at the altar or if it's more comfortable for you you can sit at your seat but just take the card with you and pray for our partners who are on these cards who are out doing the work that God has called them to do just come grab a card take the one on top take it back with you or kneel here at the altar and pray for those missions partners and the third thing I'd ask you to do is just spend this time not, not necessarily filling out the card, but asking God what he wants you to do. Asking God what he would have you to do.
Would you stand with me? And I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. Lead us into worship. Let's pray. God, all of us come into this service this morning, and, and God, we, all of us have our own stuff going on. All of us have our own stuff going on. We have, we have uh, important things to take care of. We have our own issues that we're worried about. We have our own people that we're trying to reach out to. God, we, we're, we come in here this morning, and we need you to touch us. We need you to cleanse us. We need you to make us whole. And God, for many of us, maybe we come in and and this topic that we're talking about this morning was the last thing on our minds. Well, God, I pray that by your spirit, that through the busyness of this world and the priorities of this world, that you would remind me, Lord, that you would remind us of what our job and our mission really is in you. That we are called to go and to reach the unreached. Lord, we need that clarity. We need that reminder that this is what you've called us to do. This is who you've called us to be. God, help us to do it with boldness and courage. And Lord, as we worship you, as we pray for these missionary partners, would your spirit be among us? God, would you move in this moment? We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.